What's going on, everybody? Hotep family. I say to all my people out there, welcome back to another episode of My Unapologetic Perspective here on the Mighty Motivation Network. This is the podcast where we give our point of view of controversial topics from my experience, black history, and our knowledge as African Americans. Black history presently lives in us so we can continue to excel into the future. It's one thing to know black history. It's another thing to take advantage of what the people in black history did for you. I am your host, Martre Baker-Stevens, and to the right of me is Shaquan Battle. Yo. And to the right of him is Jerome Battle. Sup? We appreciate all the love and support that we've been getting on our podcast. We appreciate anybody that has been rocking with us, um, whether you picked up from episode one or you just recently as a a new listener and start following um, our platform. But uh, this podcast has been phenomenal um, just for me. And the research that we've been doing and the learning that I've been getting from researching uh, things that I didn't know about and going into more depth and detail about things that I did know about. Um, Real quick, Shaquan, just tell me what this podcast has done for you Um, as we're on episode, I think, 34, 34, 35, something like that. Uh, It's it's really been an eye opener for me. Cause I always been on the fence about, you know, uh, black history or politics, things of that nature. It was, I was always on the fence because I didn't know much about it. Mm-hmm. So when those conversations came up, I would, I would just step away. But, you know, every week having the opportunity to dive in on history that I never knew anything about. Um, and y'all hear me say it all the time. Y'all Google might be different than mine, but <laughs> just, just sitting here watching y'all too play tennis, you know, with the information that y'all have is is really powerful. Um and I'm just lucky to be I got a front row seat to uh to see y'all do do something that y'all that y'all love to do and then now y'all made me love it. So <laughs> um one more question. What do you think the podcast should mean to other people? I think it should mean um I, for me it should mean how I look at CNN for the, for the news, they should look at this podcast as getting a history lesson on everything we've been through and continue to go through Absolutely. Um, for more information. Like I said, don't take, like we always say, don't take our word for it. Go do your own research, right? Take what you get from this and use it to get more research on what you didn't know to educate your kids. That's the, that's the main thing is to educate your kids on where they're not going to teach in school. Absolutely. Absolutely. Pops. Those are two great questions. Uh, For me, it's been, it's been bittersweet. Yeah. I say that because I am pro black. I love black people. I don't always understand this, but I love black people. Right. Um, So for me, it's the educational part. So I love doing the research. I've always liked black history. I've always been into history period, but specifically black history. Um, back in the day, we had encyclopedias. We didn't have internet. So mm-hmm. having internet makes it a lot easier to get more information um, and to cipher through the information because some of it is just more BS. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So ciphering through it and trying to find real information. Um, I, I love it. The other thing is, is it's opened me up to see other things around me that because you can have equality, you can have justice, you can have laws that kind of uh, level the plan, even the playing field a little bit, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But you also have to have advancement come after that. 
And I'll tell you something that happened this morning is kind of indicative of what this podcast mean to me. I I jumped on Facebook real quick because I like to look at our podcast. I like to look at it, just the segments that, that Bake puts on, on uh, Facebook. And in the process, I came across another video. And in the video, it's kind of like it was, they were talking to me, kind of like, um, have you given up on black owned businesses because of bad experiences? No, well, yes, I have. Right. Right. I mean, in the, in the, in the video, it said, you can't give up on black businesses just because you had bad experiences. You have to continue to give them an opportunity to give you the better service or product that you deserve. And the funny thing is the person in the video was my cousin. Um, most people know her as Connie Mills, we call her Nikki. Um, and Nikki is the, the daughter of the kindest man that I know in Marvin Mills and one of the most intelligent women that I know in Gene Mills. Um, and just to plug in, she's created a new business venture called Social Selfie Studio. I'm not going to screw it up trying to tell you what it's about. Get on Facebook, check it out. Mm -hmm. um, it's something that she's been a business entrepreneur her entire life. Mm -hmm. She is also the sole owner of Nappy Heads Hair Salon. Um, and as in this podcast, as we talk about black women who was influential in civil rights and, and, and to some of the things that women have the opportunity or black people have the opportunity to do, you can look at people like my cousin, Nikki Mills, who has taken that and advanced mm -hmm. because of it, you know, because you can have the government put laws in place, pass laws to allow certain things to level the playing field. But you also have to have people take advantage of economical plans um, for development and financial opportunities. You have to have people take advantage of that, not just as the consumer. Mm -hmm. So for me, that's what this podcast has done. It said, okay, great. We have opportunities. What are we doing with them? Mm -hmm. We have economical plans for development in, in our communities. What are we doing with them? Right. So it allowed me to start looking at another side of what this podcast is really meant to be. Give you images so that you can know that you belong in America and these are the things that you have opportunity to do. Absolutely. Um, and I only ask those questions because uh, one of my homeboys, Knight, asked me, you know, you know, what does the podcast do for me? Like he was like, is it about family? Is it about our community? Or is it just about reaching as many people as possible? I told him all of the above. I said, number one, it's about family because I get to sit here with the, the two of you every Sunday um, and, and, and do this podcast and also about family because my daughter can listen to this podcast. I told her to specifically to go back and listen to last episode because that's important for her as a, as a, as a woman and a black woman in this world to be able to understand those doors that has been opened to her by people that came before her. Um, and again, you know, when I wrote two books, a lot of people say, you know, I don't read like that. You know what I mean? Like I, I just have trouble reading. So this podcast was another avenue for the people who won't go to Barnes and Noble and get these books about these phenomenal people that were giving you information off a podcast. Like anybody can listen to a podcast on the way to work. Anybody can listen to a podcast while they're working out or while they're while they're cleaning up. Um, and it's giving you valuable information. You know, I believe you you only uh you only grow what you feed, right? Like whatever you feed is gonna grow. And I think a lot of times we have to get the information out there because people may listen to music all day. They may listen to, 
you know, you see what's on Facebook and what's on the news, but this is another avenue that gives you information so you can be able to grow. And I believe that's what we're doing with this podcast. We don't have any control over the numbers. We don't have any control over how Facebook give it to you because I know Facebook has kind of censored us out a little bit with the views. I don't have any control over the YouTubes. All we can do is give you the information, right? And I can tell for the people who listen to this podcast that it's not going to stop. We've been doing this for over a year. You know what I mean? And it's not going to stop. Um, we're going to continue to grow. We're going to continue to build. But it's also holding ourselves accountable to read these amazing books to give you that information. Because like Shaquan said, we can't rely on the school to do that. And that's not an excuse for us still not to to educate ourselves, right? Just because the school said they're not going to teach about Sojourner Truth and how to be wells doesn't mean we can't teach from our from our own home. And social media is one of the greatest platforms to be able to teach from in, in our in our era because there's so much information that's on Facebook that people take that information and take it as Bible. They take it as um resourceful. But a lot of stuff on Facebook isn't true. That's what this podcast is about. That's why we call it perspective. So you can do more information and you can find out your own truth. Um, that's when you when you do stand when you do things that's unnormal, you birth things. So I remember early episodes uh in this, we were saying how what they're gonna teach in school is not gonna be right, this, that, and the fourth, or, or they got the wrong teachers teaching it. And last month, you was blessed to be able to go to the school and teach the kids something that they never knew right. about people that they would never know. Right. So, like I said, just by doing this, you birthed something that you had spoke on podcasts months ago about you didn't know how they was going to teach this in the school. You didn't know what they was going to teach. And then you wind up in the school teaching. It. Right. Absolutely. And, and it stuck because at a basketball game. I had five kids that was in the assembly. <laughs> they came and talked to me because they thought I was him. And I said, well, what did you learn? And they were able to tell me some yeah. of the things that they learned. And you you look at the what he posted on Facebook that, you know, kids took notes. That's yeah. right. You know that because they knew they weren't going to be able to That's remember right. it. They wanted to remember it. The paper remember what your mind can. Absolutely. And again, we're not for everybody. We understand that. We don't sell ice cream. We're not for That's everybody. Right. But if it's for the people who... For, for white people who want to see a different perspective other than what you may have been taught to understand the, the black mindset, um, this is good. For the black people who may not understand the importance of things that like if you talking about voting all the time, um, may not might understand the importance of why we begin to talk about history because those things like Ida B. Wells for the anti-lynching laws trying to be created back then are just now coming to fruition. Right. We got uh, a Supreme Court justice judge that's being interrogated for the past week. You see the things, the way black women are being treated in this country. It, again, history doesn't repeat itself, but it dang sure rhymes. And those are the things that are still relevant today. That's why in the opening, I begin to say that we are black history. Mm -hmm. The things that they went through, we're continuing to repeat and go through, but we taking their strength and we're, and we recycling it to be able to grow into the future. Speaking of, speaking of the judge that's uh, going for the confirmation here, did you hear one of the questions that a lady asked her yesterday? No, yeah. refresh my memory. The question was, can you define a woman? Yeah, yeah. If if you can't define a woman, then how do they have the right to vote? <laughs> yeah, okay. This is uh we're gonna jump right back into uh what we were talking about last episode. Again, 
we didn't want to discredit those powerful two women that we were talking about last week or the powerful women we're going to talk about this week with just one episode. We wanted to expand it and, and create much uh, discussion as possible. Um, we're going to start off with uh, Fannie Lou, um, Fannie Lou Hammer, um, who was an incredible, incredible, incredible woman. Um, again, just like Sojourner Truth, not very educated. Mm-hmm. Uh, she received only a sixth grade education, but her civil rights activism began when she uh, got a call about the SNCC. For the people who don't know what the SNCC means, it's the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. Um, they were part of the civil rights movement. And that's one thing real quick. A lot of people, when they think about the civil rights movement, you think it was just one group. No, right. they, they were different sections that correlates into what we call the civil rights movement today. They, right. Again, they didn't always agree on everything. They weren't always the same, but they understood the goal was for uh, to get the voting rights passed. And you had so many groups with so many different ideas that the SNCC was one group. You know and, what I mean? And you're also talking about, in some cases, 30 or 40 years before Martin Luther King got involved. Yeah, absolutely. So that's the other thing. I think people got to keep that in perspective. Absolutely. Uh, but the SNC was looking for volunteers <laughs> to help challenge voter registration in the South that excluded black people. And when I began to do this research, I didn't understand. So when you look at it from an educational standpoint, when you look at it from school, people talked about uh, people going to the South to help them register to vote. Mm-hmm. And it was like, why so many people got to come from New York and Chicago to help these people to register to vote. And I learned from researchers, Fannie Lou, they didn't know that they had the right to vote. That's right. You know what I mean? When it, when it was talking about them registering, they didn't know that they had the constitutional right to even go register. That's right. So a lot of people, this was new information to them. Because if you just live on a plantation all your life, again, after slavery, a lot of black people stayed on the plantation as sharecroppers and they continue to live on the land that once was owned by a slave master. They continue to tell them that they couldn't vote. So a lot of people in the South, especially people like Fannie Lou, who had a sixth grade education, didn't understand her constitutional right to be able to vote. So for other people to come in like the SNCC to say, hey, look, we need help getting people to register to vote because it's your constitutional right to be able to do so. So her first attempt to register to vote, um, of course she failed because she didn't pass a literacy test, but just for registering to vote, she was number one fired from her job, which her job was again on one of those type of plantations to where the, the slave owner or not the slave owner, the person she worked for plantation, the plantation owner came to her and told her, look, if you don't go rescind what you tried to do, then you lose your job. And if you lose your job on the plantation, you can't, you can't live there anymore. So she had to go live somewhere else. But and also she was shot at 15 times um, and she would tell the people after she failed the literacy test. I'll see you again in 30 days. I'll be I'll, I'll, be, I'll, back. I'll be back. Felt that thing 17 times. Yeah, it, it kept going back every 30 days. That's the persistence uh, uh, of somebody like Fannie Lou. And, and just to clarify, the literacy test wasn't only for black people. It was for everybody that registered to vote. But of course, who was predominantly affected by it disproportionately was, was black, black people. people. In the South during that time, one out of three black Americans did not have a formal education past the, the grade grade three. Right. So one out of three would stop education 
after third grade. And for the people who don't understand that in context, even if you live in Bedford, Lynchburg, Roanoke, that was true here too. You even realized that a lot of schools back then was shut down because those kids had to work. So if you didn't have the money to be able to send your kid to school because you needed them to come out there and help work in the field. So for somebody like Fannie Lou, who was not able to get more than a sixth grade education, again, she grew up on a, a, a plantation with 20 other, with 19 other siblings. Okay, we need you to work. You ain't got time to go to school. Working in the fields at age six. Yeah. So you, Just to put that in perspective, um, even now, I, we talked last night when this was over, um, that now Florida is trying to have it so that you pay that your debt is paid to be able to vote. That's right. So you can't even be in debt if you vote. And who is that going to affect? That's right. And that, that was something like, that was already incorporated in the South back then too. You had to first have all of your your taxes paid up, and you had to pass the literacy test. That's right. So th- those were things that was in place, especially in the South. But if you put this in, how how, how does that sit? Sit six? Yeah. Could you imagine him working in the field? Yeah. Now going six. to school, you're working, you're working. At six. And that's they said Fanny, uh, by the age of thirteen, she would pick two to three hundred pounds of cotton daily. Yeah, because she said she said when she was in the field that the the plantation owner tricked her. He said, if you can pick thirty pounds of cotton, I'll take you to um the store and buy you a gift. So she picked 30 pounds. He said, okay, now I see you capable of picking 30. They'll go pick 60. So at at a very early age, she had a lot of tasks put on her because of that type of treatment. Um, But she became a field secretary for the SNCC. Um, And by doing that, she was one of the people that was arrested for trying to help people register to vote. And the trooper takes her into the jail and had two inmates beat her that's right and not only beat her uh she suffered a blood clot she ended up having uh damage to her kidney she said she was beat to the point that she felt like she was crippled for just trying to organize people to to be able to vote and she also said that the police officers groped her and one of them even took her dress and held it over top of her head and and showed all of the officers around so it just shows the treatment that she had to go through for just trying to register to vote you know what i mean uh she finally became a registered voter in in 1963 um but one of the key things that she get into is the politics uh fanny lou helped co-found the mississippi freedom democratic party and it had to be created because the mississippi democratic party and the democratic party all in the south they excluded black people from their party so they wanted them to vote for them, but they didn't want them to have any say so within the party. So they created the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party to help uh, especially poor white people and African-Americans be able to uh, to have a say so in the Democratic Party. And when it ended up happening, there was a convention going on in uh, I think it was Atlantic City. And she goes and speaks at this convention about the lack of diversity in the democratic party, the treatment of black people in the South, Lyndon B. Johnson found out that she was speaking and tried to hold a press conference to keep all of the news anchors from covering her story. But a lot of the news places still ran the story and, um, behind closed door, they actually offered the Mississippi democratic party two chairs in the, in the entire thing. And, they 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 said that 
with the two chairs that Fannie Lou couldn't be one of them. And the whole Mississippi Democratic Party refused the two chairs. And I don't think it wasn't until 1968 that the Democratic Party actually required equality into um, into state delegations. But she was one of the ones that tried to run for the seats um, in the South. Another thing about her before that, she was actually sterilized without her knowledge by a white doctor to uh, keep her from having a child. This was something that was common in the South with black women to sterilize them without their knowledge to control the population of black people in the South. She went to have a tumor removed. And uh, when they removed the tumor, they went on and performed that that surgery Mm -hmm. to sterilize her and uh, without her knowing. Without her consent. And because of that, she had no no biological kids. Right. And that was one of the reasons for uh, getting into politics because for most people who don't understand Voter registration and voting isn't just about voting for a candidate. Mm-hmm. You get the chance to vote for laws being passed. That's right. So one of the things of uh, like the sterilization laws, adding to those sterilization, those sterilization laws to keep this from happening to black women moving forward. And, and just segregation in general, because she did adopt two kids. Yeah. And then one of those kids were, were sick and they got refused treatment at a hospital mainly because they were black mm-hmm. and because of the things she was doing in the community. Mm-hmm. And that, that child died because of it. So you can see how certain things that she encountered in a country where they say racism doesn't exist <laughs> that spewed her to do the things that she was doing because she encountered this every day of her life. Mm-hmm. So that gave her more passion to try to you know, curb the issue. Absolutely. She also became one of the leaders in the Freedom Summer Campaign, which brought a lot of other prominent leaders to Mississippi to help people to register to vote. And just listen to this in a 10 week time frame, there were over a thousand people beat for trying to register to vote. Over 80 of those workers were beaten. 37 churches were burned. 30 black homes and businesses was bombed or burned and four civil rights workers killed just in a 10 month, no, in a 10 week span of trying to, of them people coming, trying to get people to register to vote in Mississippi. Uh, she was also the found, co-founder of the, Na- of the National Women's Political Caucus, along with uh, Shirley Chisholm, who was one of the, the first, who was the first African American to run for president. That's right. Um, and what they did, they helped recruit, train, and support women of all races who wanted to run for political or government office. So teaching them how to speak, teaching them how to get donations, teaching them all of those things about a political campaign to help them run that paved the way for, as you see today, so many women in our, in our government and political office today, mostly you see is black women that want those, that want those spots. Um, it's crazy. Fannie how, Lou was one of the first people to, to incorporate that. It's crazy how black women, will stand up for black women will stand up for every uh ethnic group there is facts um absolutely they they paved the way for every black white hispanic whatever whatever race it is black women will stand up and pave the way for, for any race, you look at history. If you know history, That's they right. raise black kids and they raise white kids, <laughs> especially in the south. Fannie Lou said, uh, "All I'm going to continue to I'm going to continue to do this. All they can do is kill me." Yeah, and it appears that they're trying to do that yeah. on a daily basis, right? Right. So she was, she was. We talked about being strong and resilient. 
she is a prime example of being strong and resilient. Yeah. People, the person who wouldn't shut up and not just shut up with her mouth, shut up with her actions. That's right. Um, we're going to get into something real quick. Um, I'm going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back. And we are back. Uh, we're going to jump right back in, but go to YouTube, type in Mighty Motivation Network, follow the latest episodes, go to My Unapologetic Perspective on Facebook, follow the latest episodes, follow me on TikTok, Martre underscore S, Instagram, Martre underscore S. Um, we're going to jump right back in uh, because it's a quote couple of quotes I want to go through from Fannie Lou that I believe that our people need to hear. She says, you can pray until you faint, but unless you get up and try to do something, God is not going to put it in your lap. I have no problem with anybody's religious beliefs. Everybody knows that, right? I've said this numerous times on this podcast, but the problem with the black community in general, when it comes to religion, is we have this saying to say, well, I'm just going to pray about it and wait for something to happen. That will lead to nothing happening. You know what I mean? When you look at these people like Fannie Lou, you can even look, let's just lose Dr. King as an example. Dr. King was a preacher, but he didn't just wait for things to happen. You have to, you have to have action behind your prayer. However you pray, I don't care. But there has to be action after your prayer because whatever you believe in and a higher power, that will give you the strength to do whatever it is that you pray for. So you can't just sit back and pray about it. And I believe that as the black community, we do that a lot. We pray about it and just sit back and say, I'm going to wait for God to move. R- regardless of what religion you believe in, things just not going to happen out of osmosis. You're right. put in the position to do the work that God gave you to do. If you don't believe me, read your Bible, read your Quran, read whatever you read and see the people that God put in position that prayed about it, that did things. Right. And that's one thing that Fannie Lou did. You know, she 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 didn't just wait for things to happen. She She prayed about it. But she also put it into perspective that I have to do the work in order for the hurt. Right. You know what I mean? You know, Kunta Kente said is for those that sit around and pray, and that's all you do, you're waiting on a miracle. Yeah. Miracles don't happen to black people. Facts. So. <laughs> Facts. Facts. And you got to look, in America, this is an unapologetic perspective. I'm going to say what I want to say. If you look at perspective, what you praying against, the other people also go to church, and they praying, they praying a different thing. So who is God to answer? You or them. That's you know right. what I mean? So the, the action has to be taken. Uh, she also says, I might not live two hours after I get back home, but I want to be a part of setting our people free in Mississippi. And as the black community, again, especially with social media, especially after Dr. King and Malcolm X, you seen black people, black leaders in particular, who didn't want to be part of the solution. That's right. They wanted to be the solution. And we see that along in the black community is where everybody wants to be the person, the spokesman. That's right. Everybody wants to be the person with their name on a flyer, with the person who their name as the organizer. That's right. Oh, I'm the one that did this. And as the black community, Fannie Lou said, look, I don't care less. About I don't care who get the, the, the attention. Let's as long as I'm done. able to go in and vote without being, being beaten, you can That's talk right. about Dr. King all you want to. But I'm here for That's a purpose right. and setting my people free. The other fascinating thing about Ella is that she used the punishment to get better at that thing. 
So I use myself as an example. When I was a kid, I remember getting a, a whooping for, for telling a lie, right? Mm-hmm. My mom whooped me. But you know what that did? It made me a better liar, right? <laughs> if I sucked at it and I'm getting a beating, I, I need to get better at it, right? So what ultimately what Ella did is she kept failing the literacy test. And you can see in her quotes, her level of education started increasing. Right. She she got to the point where some of her quotes are 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 some of the best written quotes that exist today. Yeah. Some of them, as they always say, well-spoken quotes <laughs> that are written today. So she used that as a driving force to get better. Right. Not just to pass the test, but so that she can be a more educated person in society because she knew that the more educated she was, the more people were going to listen to her. And you just think about how that could have pissed off so many people that this uneducated woman was a person who spoke at the Democratic convention. That's right. Ran for a seat for that Democratic convention and was looked at by so many people in the civil rights movement as to the go-to person to be able to do some of these things. That pissed probably not just white people off. That probably pissed a lot of, again, those leaders that wanted to be the the name, right? They want to be the name associated with setting their people free. Anything else on Fannie Lou? Fannie Lou. We're going to transition into Ella Baker. Uh, Ella Baker, you know, we always talk about on this podcast, you know, passing on principles, habits that are taught into your household. And Ella Baker is one of those people who received those type of habits. You know, her parents shared their food with hungry neighbors. Her grandmother told the story about her being whipped because she refused to marry a man that the slave master had organized for her to marry. And that's what you see out of Ella Baker, a, a, a black woman who wanted to help black people no matter what the strength and the resilience to be able to help no matter what, but also the resilience to not take anything that somebody just wanted to give her. You know what I mean? Um, But she was the premier behind the scenes organizer um, with the SCLC. That's the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. Another part of the civil rights movement that was Dr. King's them group. Um, different from, again, the SNCC, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. But she worked with both with both groups, um, but she helped local leaders craft and organize and implement um, protests and marches against lynching, against, um, for black teachers, equal pay. You know, she she began to do those things. And she was an educated woman. She was valedictorian in her school, um, graduated college. Um, but she started really getting into activism when she moved to New York during the, the uh, seeing the hardships of the Great Depression, seeing so much poverty. And, and she was influenced by the Harlem Renaissance. Absolutely. That's right. Um, but one of the key things that I want to talk about that she, that she helped uh, create was the Young Negroes Cooperative, which was a organization that basically pulled money together to help other black people in the community. 
You know, so when you see today the GoFundMe's, you see the the charity events to help raise money for somebody that may need heart surgery, that may That's need right. help paying their rent. All of these things starts back then with the Young Negroes Cooperative by saying, okay, we need to take care of our own. We ain't going up here to beg because we know they ain't going to give right. it to us. You know what I mean? We, the people, can help each other grow. This is black people putting their money together right. to help other black people. That was the original form of what people call today socialism. Mm -hmm. Back then, it wasn't called socialism. Um, it was called anti-capitalism, mm -hmm. right? So it was anything that was done outside of what our government was formed on, which is capitalism. And so that's what that's what Ella Baker was doing. Absolutely. It, Ella Baker hits home, too. So for the people that don't know, she was born in Norfolk, born from Norfolk, Norfolk yeah. Virginia. And her family was part of that race riot in Norfolk mm -hmm. um, that her grandmother told her the stories about and things that happened right there in Norfolk, Virginia. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think Littleton, North Carolina is where her mother was originally from. Right. And they moved back to Littleton, North Carolina, where they experienced similar situations yeah. of racism and discrimination. Um, so again, we're not talking about very far. We're not talking about Mississippi and Alabama. Yeah. We're talking about Virginia, yeah. North Carolina. So this, this still existed. Um, even though you came further up north in some of those states that you hear me talk about. Mm -hmm. um, but Ella Baker was one of the driving forces behind the civil rights movement when you talk about Martin Luther King. Yeah. However, yes. However, don't get into it. She was not one of the ones who was passive and she didn't just shut up. Yeah. So she even went against Martin Luther King at Absolutely. times. She was not the biggest fan of Martin Luther King telling people in their communities what they needed to do. Yeah. She wanted organizers in that community yeah. to determine what they were going to do right. and how they were going to do it. You want to do a sit-in? What cafe you want to do it in? How you want to do <laughs> yeah. it? And we'll educate you on the process based on how you want to do it. In so many words, don't listen to this motherfucker. Yeah. Right? <laughs> right. Because that's the thing. When we begin to talk about the South in general, Different locations do different things. That's right. You know, even to today, you know, going state to state, community to community, different places do different things, different experiences. So it's hard to tell somebody in Chicago to have a city in. That's right. You know what I mean? Because you're not from this community. You don't understand the repercussions. And it's hard to tell people in the in Mississippi, y'all need to go get, y'all need to take guns to these marches. You don't understand the repercussions of doing that. That's right. You know what I mean? So understanding that but there was just a lot of tension uh she joined the NAACP she ended up leaving the NAACP because again that bureaucracy that she did not agree with right. that she always she couldn't rise to the level of more of of being a woman to these men she, and, and she, she didn't like she didn't like leadership one person in leadership having all of the credit all of the power and all of and all of the power right one of the things that she was quoted as saying is uh, good people don't need good leaders. Yeah. You one good leader. You need multiple Both. good leaders. Yes. Not just one. So she wasn't she wasn't a real advocate of Martin Luther King being the spokesperson because she said that he was a far better orator mm -hmm. than he was in terms of uh an activist. Yeah, absolutely. And she she talked about how well she ended up living in WCP. She never joined the in, in uh, the SNCC, but she did a lot of work with the SNCC. But she didn't want to join the organizations because she right. she didn't like the hierarchy and the bureaucracy and the and the um the status of black men over black women in in these movements. 
But the tension with Dr. King, she said, was Dr. King will listen to every black man. She would, they would, he would, he would take their opinion, take their ideas. But when it came to a black woman, that was a problem. That's right. For again, for the people who don't understand, I hate to bring a religion again, regardless of your religion. That was a religion thing. That was the preacher ego. Mm -hmm. You know, in, in, in a lot of times you didn't have women preachers. You didn't have women that led churches. You didn't have, this was a man's job. And Dr. King's mindset after being a son of a preacher. Growing up in that household, again, like you said last time, I'm not excusing them that's from, right. from, from the behavior, but that's just the way it was. And it was hard for some of those people to get rid of those ideologies, especially the black women, because they grew up in those religions and those households that held firm to those beliefs. But Fannie Lou was like, I ain't doing that. Ella May. Yeah, I mean, Ella Baker said, I'm, I'm not doing that. You know what I mean? And again, she helped organize so much. Uh, one of the things was called In Friendship, was helped to raise money for the civil rights movement. Can you imagine being from these different places to say, hey, look, can you donate money to this cause? You talk about it all the time. Most people ain't donating money to a cause that they're not going to see the benefits of. That's it. Right. Especially in poor communities where we ain't even got it to give it. So a lot of times, even if you look at parties, even if you look at organizing, you look at um, donating, most people who are organizing those things are women because women are able to attract your feelings to be able to get you to donate something that is way bigger than you. It's right. way bigger than you buying a TV. It's way bigger than you buying a PS5. Way bigger than you maybe you going on vacation with the little money you got left. That's right. So donating that money to the NAACP or the SNCC or whatever for the civil rights movement so we can be able to get these people registered to vote right. that's going to be able to change the pay that you get so you can have things moving forward or your kids have them moving forward was essential. So when we talk about behind the scenes work, Dr. King's speech is phenomenal. Not That's taking right. that away from him. You know what I mean? Um, Shuttlesworth, phenomenal. Not taking it away from him. Um, Mega Everest, phenomenal. Not taking anything away from him. But when you look at the behind the scenes work, anybody that works behind the scenes, one of the people right here that works a lot of behind the scenes, when I used to do the videos and he had to edit them, you're talking about an hour to maybe five hour difference in, in somebody doing the work and somebody editing it and doing the behind the scenes work. Right. The behind the scenes work is the people, you watch a movie, right? Actors, only thing they got to do, remember their lines, get into their creation. When you look at the credits, who did the costumes? Mm -hmm. Who did the, the makeup? Who did the scenes? All of these things are at the end. That behind the scenes work, boy, is that difficult. Boy, is that challenging. Boy, is it hard going door to door to people to convince them to do something. And that's something that she did. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, she uh, she ended up near the end as she's leaving NAACP and all these groups. Like you said, she never really joined the nonviolent uh, group, but still worked with but them. still yeah. worked with them. She ended up leaning. She went. So she goes to New York and she meets people like Thurgood Marshall mm -hmm. and she meets a lady named Paulie Merritt. And we we mentioned her on previous podcasts. She was actually the first woman to not give up her seat on the bus. She did it in 1940. Mm -hmm. And so for those that want to do the math, that's like 20 something years before <laughs> uh, 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 Rosa Parks did it. Mm -hmm. Right. So uh, she met these people. 
And in doing so, she started to develop the northern mentality about racism rather than that southern mentality about racism and discrimination and how to fight it. So she started meeting and she met people like Angela Davis. Mm -hmm. She met people like Carmichael. Mm -hmm. And these are the people who were part of the Black Panther Black, movement. Black Panther Party movement. So uh, you could see how she changed a little bit. As we talked about before, so did Martin Luther King. Yeah. So all of these civil rights leaders went through changes as we got to certain points in history to say, okay, that's no longer going to work now. What's next? And, and that's the funny thing is because when you look at those changes, the people who stepped out of that civil rights movement into the Black Panther Party movement were a part of the civil rights movement. That's right. They were... Stokely Carmichael, uh, Angela Davis, uh, Fred Hampton. That's right. They were, all part, they were all part of the civil rights movement. And they said, okay, Dr. King, we see what you did. But now we got to go, we got to go to a different, different level. That's right. You know, it, it, uh, it's a quote by uh, Dr. Dr. Cobb. He always say, you don't take a boat across a river. And then once you get on land, take the boat and put it on your back and walk. That's right. The boat might've got you across the you river. Dr. Vehicle. King got us across the river. <laughs> But now we got to walk a little bit and the method has to change. That's right. So a lot of those people that we see in that civil rights movement went on to create the, the Black Panther Party movement or be more radical in, in their in their concepts after the civil rights movement. Yeah. And, you know, so for me, when I think about uh, what what Ella Baker was doing was doing and also the fact that Fannie Lou also ran for uh, a Senate position as well. Yeah. Is that. From from that part, from the, the Harlem Renaissance all the way up to the Black Panther Party is where you really start seeing black skin in the politics. Yeah. So if you look at all the people, the former members of the Black Panther Party in the early 60s, late 60s, early 70s, a lot of those people, mostly women, became politicians, mm -hmm. senators and congresswomen and uh, House of Representatives and things of that nature. They got into the politics part of the civil rights movement right. because without the politics you have nothing absolutely we would not have gotten because this sounds funny we would have not gotten the right to vote if the right to vote hadn't already been given to us in 1870 right right so you had to have the laws change for you to be able to fight right so you have to have these politicians that are going to bat for you so again the civil rights movement was a part of that that, that spew us getting into politics. Right. And so when you look at the civil rights movement, most people think civil rights movement was just, and that's what the school just teaches. About just about, well, just about, just, uh, protesting and, and marching and sit-ins. All of that was a part of the civil rights movement. That's right. But you can't look behind the scenes uh, of people who were sitting down to try to become and could come apart. What's her name? Um, Mary Bethune. Yeah. Um, who became part of the cabinet for um, who was it? Um, I can't remember. But she 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 got into politics. You you look at what Fannie Lou tried to do. You look at what Ella Baker tried to do. The politics, the changing of the laws, the changing of of societies, the opening the gates to to to. To allow Dr. King to be able to do the things That's that he right. was able to do, to accomplish the things he was able to accomplish. And, and they got the, the speeches. And they got the attention of presidents. Right. So a lot of these women, Ella Baker included, um, Fannie Lou included, got the attention of the president. Right. And when you get the attention of the president, that's something. 
because without Martin Luther King meeting with presidents, Lyndon B. Johnson, Lyndon B. Johnson, uh, John F. K. Before yeah. that, without actually meeting with them, things wouldn't have changed. Right. So um, when I think about these women and, and their appeal was a little bit different, especially when you talk about Roosevelt, um, Eleanor Roosevelt. Right. Uh, these women got the attention of people like Eleanor Roosevelt, who was an advocate for women's rights and civil rights. Right. Um, and, and of course, a lot of people, you're not going to hear about it because she actually spoke out publicly against her husband, who was the president of the United States, many a times on these issues. Mm -hmm. Um, of course, nobody's going to talk about it from from white America and blacks probably don't even know who is Eleanor. Who is he talking yeah. about? Right. Do your research. But Eleanor Roosevelt was a powerful woman because she was the first lady who spoke out every chance she got mm -hmm. about women's rights and civil rights for black people. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I got, a, I got a question. Um, because we when we speak about these women, it often comes up that, you know, they was in the background doing all of the work. Um, is that the reason today we see maybe black people is getting a little bit progression of what's going on and black women are still even behind black people? Like women are still last, black women are still last of getting uh, jobs, uh, coaching coaching jobs. Um, well, what job? Well, if you look at corporate America, we did an episode on this, the corporate America, the getting job promotions, getting income, um, all of these things. But if you look at it, black women are ranked one of the highest in voting. They're yeah. ranked one of the highest I, in I voting. I see what you're saying, though. You're saying that is the surge continuing because women are still put in that same right. light that they have been for years. I, 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 I don't know if that's the surge or it's just the nature of women. And the nature of women is when they when they want better, they don't want just better for them. They just want better, period. Right. Yeah. Right. So when I look at when I look at ESPN and I watch the women commentators talk about college basketball or the WNBA, one, there are no Charles Barkley women. So yeah. these women are usually very educated um, and they know the sport, even if they never played the sport. So. They already know going in, and we say this about just black people in general. If you have a job, you you can't just be good. Mm -hmm. You have to be better than the white counterpart. So for women, they can't just be good. They got to be better than the white counterpart and the male counterpart. Mm -hmm. So they got to be super great at what they do. So what they do is they answer the challenge. Mm -hmm. And in doing that, guess what they do to black men? They push you to be even better. Right. Right. So it just keeps getting better and better. So every time I turn on ESPN, not just ESPN, when I look at CNN and I listen to Don Lemon, <laughs> this dude, I mean, one of the most educated, uh, high educated people I've ever seen on TV, but he didn't start out that way. He was pushed. Pushed like by people like Cuomo, who's one of his friends, but he, he was pushed to be better because now you don't only represent CNN. In fact, I don't think he represents represents CNN first at all. Mm -hmm. He represents black America first. Mm -hmm. And he will tell you that. Right. So I think what women have done is they raised the bar, not just for uh, women, but for black men in, in general. They've raised the bar. So I think it's going to that upward trend is going to continue. We're going to continue to fight. Because we are, we we just talked about it. We're not that far from where we were in the '60s, right. or the '20s, mm -hmm. or 1870. 
Mm-hmm. We're not that far removed from those things. Um, my answer, I believe it's different from back then to now. I believe back then you were just raised on those sexist principles to men felt like they were better than, than mm-hmm. women. Now, today, I think it's less of that and more of men being intimidated by women. So you want to keep women back because now they're coming coming for for your jobs. They're coming for you. They're coming for your jobs. They're coming for, so military, uh, sports, um, all of those things, corporate America, business owners, the churches, they're coming for those fathers. The fathers. Because now you have the LBGT community. So yes, they want to be they want to be fathers and, yeah. and can yeah and you, are you look at you look at Candace Parker who is one of the greatest players to play in the WNBA but now also every chance she gets she's shooting back at Shaq when he says something that when he women they should lower the goal for women so it could be and Candace Parker is becoming one of the best commentators and analysts right. for not only women professional basketball but the men's side of, of basketball and you know a lot of times these women like Carrie Champion Taylor Rooks you know they gotta not only do they have to be better but they have to worry about their hair they have to yeah. worry about their, their makeup their nails to not fit into those stereotype boxes that men don't have to worry because about because that becomes the conversation right so yeah. they start talking about I remember uh, what was the black analyst that did the football games and on the sidelines and her hair would blow. Oh yeah. And uh, that that would be what everybody talked right. about. Yeah. They wouldn't even talk about the fact that she interviewed mo- one of the most difficult coaches to interview. And she's uh, been Bill doing Belichick, it for 30 years. And Bill Belichick <laughs> answered all of her questions. Right. Yeah. They didn't even talk about that. They talked about how her hair was blowing all over her head. When men don't have to worry about right. that. Absolutely. You know? uh, we're going to take a quick mushroom break. We'll be back to wrap up. And we are back. Uh, we're going to jump right back in and wrap up. So, Looking at this thing in totality, uh, when we look at uh, Ida B. Wells, you look at Sojourner Truth, you look at Ella Baker, you look at Fannie Lou, uh, for the people that we didn't get a chance to mention, people like uh, uh, Anne, Anna Julia Cooper, who was predominant in the advancement of education for black kids. Um, uh, what's her name? Um is it Nanny Burroughs, Nanny Helen Burroughs, who was, again, part of that education expansion for for black kids. Pauline Mary. Yeah, I mean, the names just go on and on. I know we talked about her on the episode before, but Diane Nash, you know, the the resilience of from the Freedom Fighters and CORE and SNCC and all of those people. Um, Just just give me y'all truth. Let's let's just do that. Just give me y'all truth as we talk about all of these things in totality with sexism, racism, um, women in general. Uh, far too often, women in America don't fit the architect uh, the architect of <coughs> leadership. Yeah, I, I mean, I I mentioned this on previous podcasts. Um, women embodies everything about what a human being does, especially when a human being achieves. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is, I don't recall your mom throwing the football with you guys and teaching you how to carry it and catch it. Mm-hmm. And first time you score a touchdown, <laughs> hey, mom! <laughs> <laughs> mom! 
about dad, mm-hmm. right? Dad gets no credit, which is cool because yeah. obviously you embodied everything that that woman gave you, right? From love to even the discipline. You embody that. Yeah. And that becomes what you made of. <clears throat> and so we see the strength and resilience of women, especially black women, um, and how they are the pillars of most families. You think about, I think about what my grandmother was to the Mills family and how everything centered around her. Mm-hmm. So whether it was Sunday dinners, whatever, everything centered around her. I look at, I mentioned my aunt Jean earlier. Um, she taught me a lot about family and compassion because she always has Thanksgiving dinner at her house and all her whole family, friends and family go to her house for Thanksgiving. Um, very family oriented. That's what black women give us. Mm-hmm. And we, we at times take those things for granted. I think about most of the, the things that I learned in life about simple things. Mm-hmm. A woman taught me like, again, my aunt Jean taught me how to lock my zipper on my pants. Right. Because a lot of people don't know how to lock the zipper, right? Um, my Aunt Georgia taught me how to tie a necktie. Mm-hmm. So when I think about the influence in my life, um, black women, um, and my dad is still the greatest dad on earth and taught me a lot, mm-hmm. right? So I, I'd be remiss if I didn't say that. But black women taught me a lot of other things, um, how to iron clothes, how to wash clothes, how to wash dishes properly, because mm-hmm. everybody thinks they know how to wash dishes <laughs> until a black woman shows you. Yeah. And I think every black man that you know, including the two of you, would say that you married up. Mm-hmm. The woman that you married make you a better man. Mm-hmm. Very few black men, and I know they want to get the hell beat out of them later mm-hmm. on, but it's the fact that it's true are not going to say that they didn't marry up. Mm-hmm. Every black man has a woman in their lives that's strong are going to say that they married up. Even if that woman is smarter than them, uh, you told me that your wife knows more about cars than you do. You weren't embarrassed by that. Not at all. Tell me what I need to do. (laughs) You know, you, you, you learn to accept that. And I think that that's what women allow strong black women allow us to be whoever we are. Things that we're not good at. They pick up the slack. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. That that's what a, so when we talk about, Black women in the civil rights movement, why is it separate? <laughs> because they are the civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. Without them, in fact, Martin Luther King said about Ella Baker, without her, they probably would have been no civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. So uh, so that in totality, I think it goes back to what I said last week, strength and resilience, mm-hmm. without a doubt. And I, uh, for me, I think... Education is key to not just learn about the accomplishments of these powerful women. You know, uh, I seen a a skit or a, a segment of forgot what it was. I think it was a podcast where they talked about teaching black history in the schools. It was the view. The view had an argument about teaching black history in schools and I think one of the, the ones said, well, I would like it taught, but we should be teaching about black ex- excellence and not just about, you know, black hurt, black pain. And to a degree, I agree with her. But the problem is 
when you teach about black history in America, it would be doing an inservice and an injustice to black people if you don't talk about the the strength of them overcoming that pain. Right. Because, you know, when we talk about the the great white people in this country, you, you talk about what George Washington went through. You talk about the, the Civil War. You talk about the Revolutionary War. You talk about all of the things that they embodied to be able to do what they did because that adds to the story. You don't want to add that into the black perspective because the person that was keeping them down was the people you glorified in the beginning chapters. That's right. Right. So when you talk about black women, yes, we can talk about the black excellence, but you can't talk about the black excellence without talking about the sexism and the racism that still allowed them to create the black excellence. And when you look at that, you would have more respect for black women if you knew about what they had to go through That's right. and what they're still going through. Um, I heard Dr. Kava say one time that, you know, um, there's a, a belief that the original Statue of Liberty was a black woman mm-hmm. um, that was supposed to be in the harbor. And he said, can you imagine that for immigrants coming in, the first thing you see mm. is a black woman. It would change your perspective of how you feel about black people. That's right. So when you, and and I only correlate that because when you we talk about those images, we talk about that representation of education. When you see those black hairstyles, when you see that that black fashion, when you see that black care as a as a correctional officer. I've seen black women go down there to those to those units and those white girls look at those black women like they're their mamas because they have that care. They have that love. And a lot of times it's that tough love that people need that a lot of people don't want to have, including when they, when they talk to their husbands. Mm-hmm. It's that truth that you don't want to abide by. And that's why this episode is so important to women who refuse to shut up. That's what those black women are. They're the spokesmen. They're the love, they're the care. Uh, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad taught that the black woman was the first teacher of the child. For many instances, not just the first teacher of the child of a black kid, but a lot of teachers of the white kid because they raised a lot of white kids. That's right. Those, that embody what a black woman is. Don't look at the TV. It ain't twerking. It ain't half-naked video vixens. It ain't uh, gold diggers it's that love tender and care if you got to know the black woman I ain't gonna do what she do when she go to the party and she having fun but for a black woman to me that is the essence of what raised true American when we talk about true American